it's time to join Montana's very own and your voice for agriculture, Talking Ag Lane Nordland, for today's LaneCast. All right, friends, welcome back to the Agriculture Conversation here on the LaneCast Ag Podcast. We are turning our attention for today's conversation out to our nation's capital, to Washington, D.C. Uh, joining us from the Beltway is Wyoming native Caitlin Glover. She heads up the National Public Lands Council and also the NCBA's federal lands in Washington, D.C. Uh, uh, Caitlin, it was 27 degrees below zero when I got up at about 4 a.m. Mountain Time this morning. Uh, is it that cold out in D.C. today? It's not that cold here in D.C. today, although I, this Wyoming girl is very happy to see some snow flurries uh, coming my direction. Uh, the, the, the rest of the city, though, is is uh, a little bit warmer, of course. Uh, with I always joke about the hot air coming through Washington, and that's especially true uh, when, you, when you're talking about the beginning of a new session. Uh, so Congress is, is well underway uh, with some of the legislative and, and business priorities uh, of the American public, but that doesn't mean that the administration... Uh, is slowing their work. Although we are just a few short days into the Biden administration, uh, a lot of these regulatory activities are continuing. One of the big news uh, items that we came out that, that we're, we became aware of this week uh, was an extension to the comment period for the Forest Service's proposed changes to their rangeland handbook and directives. Now, those are the, the guidance documents at the agency that, that really govern how the agency manages grazing. So those big changes uh, were first announced announced in, in December and put out for public comment. And uh, we, we had just 60 short days uh, to, to, to take a look at those changes and make comments. Because those comments occur in so many different chapters, uh, the PLC asked the Forest Service for a little bit more time, an extension to that comment period, to make sure that this once-in-a-generation, truly this this opportunity that's, that's pretty rare, uh, could, could be... Uh, well commented, well reviewed, uh, and, and we could provide the most substantive comments. Um, now, the Forest Service uh, did listen, and, and we're very thankful that we have an additional 60 days. So that public comment period is now going to run through the 17th of April. Uh, we're at Public Lands Council developing robust comments along with our partners in the grasslands and those who have forest allotments as well, and, and encourage anybody who has any questions or wants to participate in that process to get a hold of me uh, here in Washington, D.C. And uh, when we look at these comments, sometimes folks uh, uh, have signed on uh, to, to comments. Uh, the PLC will submit them on their behalf. Uh, how about folks that do truly want to submit comments? Maybe they haven't done it before. What is the, the, the quick and dirty way to explain uh, kind of a Cliff Notes version of how folks should appropriately submit comments, how long should they be, what type of references should they have in there, uh, just in case they, they make comments on, on this U.S. Forest Service comment period or, or any other comment period that an agency has open. So that's a great question, Lane. And, and this this comment period is a little bit different from from others because it's a little bit of a different document. But but your quick reference uh, is that any of these regulatory changes are, are typically posted in what we call the Federal Register. That's the big sort of menu, if you will, of congressional uh, notifications and public notification of anything that the agencies are doing. So these changes were also published in the Federal Register. But the comment period is run through the Forest Service website. So if you just do a, a 
quick Google or you go to the, the Public Lands Council website, we have a link for you to go and, and submit your comments. Comments should be as detailed or as and personal as you can make them. Uh, if you have an allotment and or a lease, if you're part of a grazing association, making sure that what's written on paper actually works for you is really the kind of comment that the agency needs to hear. So often, and because we have so many different grazing scenarios across the country, uh, policies are, are very difficult to develop for, for one policy that, that works for all scenarios. So as, as many comments and as personal as you can make them, uh, that's the, the, the real desire here. Uh, just uh, last week uh, during nominee Vilsack's confirmation hearing in front of the, the uh, Senate Agriculture Committee, uh, Senator John Hoven of North Dakota actually asked uh, uh, former Secretary of Ag and nominee Vilsack uh, uh, to, to really focus on, on these uh, rangelands that are administered by the U.S. Forest Service. And, and I think that's something a lot of people may not understand is the U.S. Forest Service is a part of USDA. Um, and I, I always like to encourage people to, to learn more about that aspect. But how important is it to have uh, an agency head truly understand the important role that uh, that grazing plays in the U.S. Forest Service management of our nation's natural resources on those forest lands? So, Lane, that, that's a really great point. And so the, the Forest Service is part of USDA because when we started thinking about what management of these forest assets looked like, um, there was a recognition that forest products, wood products, are, are a commodity. And in many ways, uh, grazing is, is part of that commodity system as well. And so that's why it's housed at the Forest Service. But it's important to remember that when we have a Forest Service head uh, who is working in a different department uh, across a different agency than the, the head of the BLM, um, we really need to, to emphasize the ability to coordinate and make sure that management scenarios are, are symbiotic and they, they work across these landscape boundaries. Uh, as we move through into a new administration, as we, we look at new leadership and, and new management paradigms, it's important to, to to promote that consistency. I think you see that in, in our process for uh, addressing these directives uh, and, and the comments on these directives, um, making sure that the new secretary, uh, that any new uh, chief of the Forest Service and all of those uh, career people who are holdovers are all on the same page on, on what the industry needs, on what the ecosystem needs and that environment, and really what those local economies need as well. So uh, as we look at uh, any uh, other uh, priorities or items that Public Lands Council is working on, uh, Caitlin, I, I recently saw that uh, PLC has restructured their, their committees w within the organization. And uh, on our radio programs on the Western Ag Network, I gave shout-outs to uh, many public lands ranchers that, that hail from our coverage area. How important is it for public lands ranchers to be involved in PLC and really anyone that is a public uh, lands uh, allottee that they're members of PLC. You're exactly right. The Public Lands Council, we, we don't operate on a typical membership. Individual permittees are, are, are or are not sometimes members of their state associations or their state public lands council. But this National Public Lands Council is unique in that we represent the interests of all permittees, all of those who have leases or permits on the grasslands or forest or, or BLM permits, and even those who have cooperative agreements with agencies, other agencies like the National 
Park Service or uh, even the Army Corps of Engineers to, to graze on some of those, those other landscapes. Uh, being involved is the best way to shape policy. Uh, those leaders, those individuals who volunteer their time, who are engaged in these issues, who share their personal stories and want to find solutions for the future, they're the ones who are setting national policy. And, and we have great relationships with members of Congress, the administration, and other industry groups as well. So, so being involved is the best way to make sure that the policy is representative of, of you and your issues. It, it's not a lot of a time commitment. And I know that a lot of people, especially this time of year, busy with lambing and calving uh, in the middle of snowstorms. I, I have been there and I understand those, those time requirements, especially early in the morning. Uh, but what, what we make sure is, is that the time here is well spent, uh, that the input that uh, that producers give is, is developed and crafted and, and shaped into policy recommendations by, by our staff here. Uh, so that the rancher's voice can come from Montana, can come from Wyoming, New Mexico, California, Washington, all the way out here to Washington, D.C. Now, maybe for some of our uh, uh, folks that are tuning in today that are maybe in college, maybe they're, they're looking for internships in agriculture and maybe haven't thought about the opportunity to be an intern for the PLC or NCBA or for a congressperson out in Washington, D.C. Uh, Caitlin, you, you have a, a pretty robust background uh, in, in your experience in the nation's capital, uh, working on Capitol Hill for, uh, I, I know you worked for uh, our great friend, Senator uh, John Barrasso, you know, for, for a Wyoming individual to go all the way out to the nation's capital and find a career still in agriculture and ag advocacy, can you maybe just share y- y- your journey to, to where you are with the Public Lands Council and going from Wyoming to the nation's capital? Sure. And it is sort of a strange journey, Blaine, you're right. Uh, I uh, am from Wyoming. I'm from just the, the middle of the giant square there, just in Casper. Uh, and I did my undergraduate study at the University of Wyoming, uh, Go Pokes, in the College of Agriculture. Uh, and, and there I had a really uh, great opportunity to come and, uh, and further my education in D.C. as an intern. I first interned uh, with Senator John Barrasso of Wyoming, who was brand new in that seat at that time time uh, and then came over to the Public Lands Council the next year or year and a half later uh, to, to get the other side of that table. I wanted to see how bills were written and bills were developed. And then I also wanted to, to see what constituent and, and rancher industry advocacy looked like. Um, so, so I spent some time here in D.C. before I even finished college. Uh, and then after my after college, I, I had sort of a strange um sort of stopover in Ireland for a few years to continue <laughs> that agriculture education, a little a little greener than Wyoming most of the year. Uh, and then I came over to to, uh, to, to Washington permanently from, from Ireland, uh, or at least permanently for now, uh, and, and joined uh, this, the staff of Senator John Barrasso, where I handled his policy related to agriculture, natural resources, and, and tribal issues. Um, so so that, that, that full circle from, uh, from, from Wyoming uh, to, to Washington, D.C., uh, has led me here to the Public Lands Council. Just celebrated my, my one-year anniversary here with NCBA and PLC, uh, and very happy that this very strange and long journey has led me here uh, to, to, to work with producers from Wyoming, but also those for, uh, for, for, 
um, other states as well. You know, it comes pretty easy for, you know, being from Montana myself and Wyoming on your end and having elected officials in the nation's capital that are either directly involved in production agriculture or they understand the importance that agriculture plays in the state's economy and the nation's food security. Uh, from your position with PLC now, you're obviously reaching out to members of Congress that do not have any background in agriculture. They, they may not understand uh, the, the importance of having Forest Service allotments to graze cattle or sheep. What uh, what advice do you have for our listeners when it comes to uh, maybe they're from California, maybe they're from one of these states where their member of the House of Representatives uh, doesn't have any background in ag or knowledge of it? How do we work together? What resources are available uh, uh, from PLC to to be able to have these conversations with lawmakers and throw the twist in there, especially during the time when you can't meet face to face with them during COVID? Yeah, so the face-to-face meetings uh, are, are really important, I think, for a lot of people in the West. There, there is just something about that handshake and, and sitting across the table that is so ingrained in the way that we do business. But even during uh, the, the time of coronavirus, uh, we have been able to continue that successful advocacy, not only with members on the Hill, um, but also with members of the public as well. Uh, I often draw from the uh, FFA adage that without agriculture, everyone would be none naked, hungry, and homeless. Uh, but but it, it really is true. Uh, all of the world, uh, every person is a consumer. Uh, they need high quality protein. They need clean air. They need clean water. Uh, they, they have all of these very basic needs. And that's really where public lands ranchers intersect with the people in downtown New York. They intersect with the people uh, around the world who who may not uh, really have ever seen uh, these landscapes or may not have even seen a a cow or or a sheep in, in real life. In fact, I just got off the phone earlier today with a new member from New York who said that, you know, her her big foray into agriculture was visiting a dairy uh, in in her time as a state legislator. And now she's in the United States Congress, but really understands that that animal welfare is an issue, that clean water and clean air is an issue. uh, And she really wants to see this image of happy cows and happy sheep on healthy landscapes. It is a good story that we have to tell as public lands ranchers. Uh, to people who who really want all of the same things uh, that drive the way ranchers work every day and the work that they do every day. And so, you know, whether it's in our fact sheets that are available on our website or whether it's through, you know, the educational programs or the meetings uh, or even just an interaction with someone who comes out and maybe hiking on a trail next to your allotment, those interactions are key. And, and every interaction that a rancher has is an opportunity for education. I take that approach in every meeting I have here, uh, and and I know that uh, many ranchers do across the West as well. Yeah, again, just uh, a lot of work that has to be done, and uh, and I know I know I don't want to hold you up too too much here, Caitlin, but uh, a big conversation out in Washington D.C. on the national news, of course, is the discussion around uh, climate, uh, carbon capture, carbon credits. Uh, that's a, a big talking points of the Biden administration and the Democrats who who control both houses of Congress. What is PLC doing to relay the message, not not just maybe face-to-face, but maybe on on a social media platform or just on advocacy aspect of it in showing the important role that cattlemen and sheep producers play in uh, uh, the climate discussion and sustainability? 
So, so that's a great question, Lane, and, and I think it, there have been a couple different phases of this discussion. And one is is understanding that, that we all need to speak the same language. Uh, I have I've had lots of conversations in the past week or two weeks uh, about how we talk about climate or ecosystems or or even carbon storage and carbon credits, where uh, where someone in Washington D.C. talks about carbon storage or carbon sequestration, ranchers talk about soil health and soil fertility, uh, where someone in Washington, D.C. talks about climate or, or uh, sustainability uh, in the climate. Uh, ranchers talk about rangeland health and monitoring and making sure that they're managing riparian areas well. Um, so, so we're making sure first that we're, we're all speaking the same language and we know where those terms are, and then making sure that we're meeting people in Washington and in in, uh, in other places in the West, meeting them where they are and, and speaking the, the same language in, in a way that's compelling to them. One of those, one of those campaigns that we're doing and one of those things that we at PLC have been focusing on is what is what is multiple use? You ask any rancher in the West and they'll tell you, be able to tell you the difference between BLM and Forest Service, what multiple use means to them and what it means on, on their allotment. But if you talk to someone, again, I'm picking on New York this morning, but if you talk to someone in New York City, they, they won't know what multiple use is other than probably a Leatherman tool that their granddad may have given them for their 12th birthday. It, 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 is, it, it is a bit of an educational campaign, but where we've seen some really great interaction is on Facebook and on Twitter uh, and even on Instagram where we've talked about multiple use and what, what grazers do and how they support other multiple uses. They keep lands open and available for hikers and for hunters. They keep landscapes healthy for wildlife access and for the, the all of the, the different species that depend on healthy ecosystems. They, uh, in some places, keep predators away that would otherwise prey on some of these smaller ground dwelling species to allow these ground dwelling species to flourish. They reduce the risk of catastrophic wildfire. And I know I'm preaching to the choir for, for some of your for, for, for some of your listeners here, but those are all of the kind of things that we where we've we've run some educational campaigns that this is this is what ranchers, this is what cattle, this is what sheep do for the rest of these other multiple uses. It's a system and it all works, but it works because you have the the impact, if you will, or you have the, the interaction with grazing activities. Well, uh, a very important role that you and your team play out in the nation's capital, being a voice for the nation's cattle and sheep producers that uh, have the have the privilege to uh, graze on our nation's public lands. It's it's not an easy conversation, um, and, and the but it's a conversation that needs to be had with uh, with outdoors groups, with uh, legislators on the state and national level, and uh, again, uh, ag plays a very important role on these public lands. Uh, uh, Caitlin, I know it's a busy day, but I would encourage our listeners to uh, visit the Public Lands Council online for more information. Follow them on uh, all the social media platforms as well. Caitlin, anything else you'd like to add here today? No, that, that's exactly right. And, and Lane, thank you so much for having me on today. The, 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 the name of the game, this administration, this Congress, is making sure that we tell the good story that public lands ranching has to tell. Uh, we, we tell it in, in, in Washington. We tell it in, in Oregon. We tell it across the world and we tell it across social media. And so being involved, being involved in the process, shaping that policy and making sure that ranchers have a place on the landscape is, is going to be that refrain that you hear from us uh, the, the whole year long. Uh, again, hey, thank you so much, Caitlin Glover, for joining us. And uh, 
As I mentioned, visit publiclandscouncil.org for more information. Well, friends, that will do it for this edition of the Agriculture Conversation on the LaneCast Ag Podcast. I'm Lane Nordland. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the LaneCast with Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and NordlandCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the LaneCast.